Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrands.com or 400 North May in Chicago. It is the Dynasty Podcast Panelcast Series, featuring industry panels recorded live throughout the city of Chicago. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at dynastypodcast.com. This week, music merchandising and branding, produced as part of the DK's Creatives at Work series, featuring co-moderator Jahari Palacio, Lance Curran from Threadless, Raja Namani from Bucket Feet, and Pugs Adams from Iradium. Here's how that sounds. My name is Haima Black. I'm with Dynasty Podcast. It's the first music podcast ever launched in Chicago. We'll celebrate our nine-year anniversary later this month. So there's that. Thank you guys all so much for coming out. Tonight we have an awesome uh, panel focusing on music merchandising and branding. All really great stuff. We have a tremendous panel here, but I also have a co-panelist who I am thrilled to be sharing the stage here with. So I'm going to let him do his introduction before we kind of get to the panelists, and then we're going to kind of launch into everything. And we should also mention this is a D-Case event, um, the city event office, of course. They were the ones who brought us up here, so big ups to D-Case for having us here. We're going to have the applause sign come up for you guys. How you doing? My name is uh, Jahari Palacio. Uh, thank you, Jaime, for the great introduction. Um, this is the Creatives at Work panel, sponsored by our good friends at D-Case and uh, Chicago Artists Resource. And basically, uh, we're here because uh, we want the answers. We want to figure out what's going on, how we can propel ourselves in this music business, merchandising business, branding business, all these businesses that we are involved in as uh, entrepreneurs of the city of Chicago. We do uh, have our panelists here. Um, I'd like for them to uh, maybe, starting from my left or from my right, to uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves and uh, kind of tell what you do and maybe a little bit about your business. And then we'll get into the, the panel event. Uh, my name is Rajan Namani. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Bucket Feet. Uh, we're about three years old, based here in Chicago. Uh, proud to say the first senior brand ever founded in Chicago. Uh, our mission is connecting you through art, so we work with artists from all over the world to uh, you know, tell stories, create products, and bring people together. Um, this guy on my right probably has a few things to say about that as well, potentially. And, and yeah, we sell, uh, we sell shoes, we sell wall art, we sell recently flip-flops, if uh, you guys my feet later on. Um, and, and we're growing quickly. We sell in about 25 countries around the world. <laughs> uh, I'm Lance Kern. I'm from uh, Threadless. I'm one of the directors. I've been with the company for nine years. We're a crowdsourced company. Um, anyone can submit designs to us. We pick the, and our community votes on those designs. We print the best voted on designs. Um, so yeah, we, sh we, we print over, well, we've printed over 6,000 designs and ship out over 2 million shirts a year to over 150 countries. Uh, it's a lot of fun and badass. I'm also the co-founder owner of RK Brewery, which will be hitting the Chicago shells next week. Not today, later. <laughs> For $10. My name is uh, Pugs Adams. Uh, I'm a musician. I have a band called The Electric in London. Kind of traveled all around the world for the last like uh, four years. And then I uh, moved back to Chicago about two years ago and I became the creative director of this brand called Iridium. And um, throughout my time, I'm usually like an uh, idea person. So brands like Juggernaut, American Needle, Afroware, Brother Man, a few other ones bring me in to kind of figure out how to boost it, change it around, and get it get it going. And right now, we just uh, opened a store at Block 37, actually. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you, gentlemen, um, maybe I'll start off with you. 
uh, bucket feet. Uh, being that, I'm sure you could probably give me the numbers on. Uh, it looks like everybody has a pair of shoes on in here. So, um, with bucket feet, what made you? And I, uh, this is probably a question for everybody. Eventually, is uh, what eventually got you into being an entrepreneur and, and trying to solve a problem and fill a need with customizable shoe wear and things of that nature. Uh, sure, it's a good question. It's a long story, so I'll try to be quick. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of the time. So my background is actually in finance. Uh, I used to work in private equity, so I used to invest in uh, much larger companies. And in 2008, uh, I decided to get out of that to pursue a dream of mine, which was to travel the world. So I actually quit my job and backpacked around the world for about a year and a half to 25 countries, six continents. Uh, amazing experience in my life. And during that time, I met the guy that would become my eventual co-founder, a guy named Aaron, who grew up in Berkeley and used to design shoes. And so like a lot of kids, you know, he'd buy a blank pair of canvas shoes and draw on them. And, and he realized very quickly that he was doing it a little differently, and that a lot of people liked it. And he realized he could start selling them. And he actually sold me a pair in Argentina, where we met, uh, where we met volunteering. So those were the shoes that I wore as I traveled around the world. Everywhere I went, they inspired conversations. It wasn't about the brand I was wearing. It was about who was the artist that made these? What was the inspiration for design? And I found by telling that story, it made my story a little bit more interesting. And it created an immediate bond between myself and their connection. And this happened everywhere, whether I was in Nepal or the UK or Botswana. Um, literally everywhere I went, these shoes would inspire conversations. And I thought that every great brand is about more than just a product. It's about connecting with something being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I thought a brand like this could have that opportunity. So after I traveled, about two years after I met Aaron, we quit our then jobs to, to start this company, and a company that's, for us, about much more than footwear, about bringing people together and connecting people, and we happen to do it through shoes. Awesome, thank you very much. And Lance, can I extend that same question to you? Um, how did I get started into this? Uh, I mean, actually, I started with Threadless as a temporary employee of the warehouse. And I, uh, nine years ago, crazy. Could have to brag to Rich's story. <laughs> but I became very passionate about what the company is about as far as giving a, uh, a, I'm really into art and I had a background actually um, was going to school for music business. And so I wanted to work with rock stars and I saw these artists as actual rock stars. So I saw Threadless as a company who, who supported artists and, their des and designers by helping, um, helping spread the word about them, helping them become a, a um, how to be, how to evolve as an artist? Like we build a huge community of people. Like, actually, Threadless community is actually two million members now. So this community of people helping artists not only uh, get their designs out there but improve as artists. We solve over time, and that's I guess I just became really passionate about the idea and concept of, of design around that. So I guess when you're passionate about something, you start working super hard, become a part of it. And so I wanted to become more and more involved, and and uh, end up rising up to be a director of the company and be able to put out my own designs and my own line of shirts with that. So. Um, it's just a very, uh, uh, it's just a very good culture there of, of like where it's motivation to to do good work is through fun, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I didn't ever want to grow up. I think a question was asked me. I didn't ever want to grow up, and I saw that as the best opportunity not to grow up to stay with these kids. Most definitely, Bucks. Now I've I've seen you several times. Every time I see you, you're super duper fly. You know you got the dope gear on, and it seemed like. Uh, you know, even in some of your music, if you, I don't know if you ever heard Buckley's music, I'll let him give a shameless plug a little bit later on. Uh, but, you know, I remember you talk about Benetton. I remember rocking Benetton. I'm not, I'm not gonna date myself, but I just knew it was always a part of your music. And so it seemed like that was a natural transition 
from you, you know, with the, with the style that you had, with your tunes, to now being involved in all these other companies? Yeah. Um, well, I got involved with Iridium from, uh, I was headed to Poland, actually, and I had, like, two, two days in Chicago. And I saw this T-shirt online before I was on my way here. And I was like, oh, man, I really need this shirt. It was like a Michael Jackson thriller, like, cartoon drawing. So, you know, I'm researching it, trying to figure it out, asking everybody, you know, if you've seen this, let me know. So when I finally figured out who makes the shirt, I found out it was a company in Chicago. So, you know, I made it my business because, I mean, I had, like, relationships with, like, Nike, Adidas, those kind of people giving me free stuff. But I was like, man, I need this. This is going to, like, make my show. So I hit up the guy. He's like, yo, you could just come by my house. You know, I'll give you a few things, you know, if you really like that. So when I get there, I realize I know the guy. So that was just like, oh, man, this is great. You know, I'm straight hook up now. And then um, from there, we just got to talking. You know, he's just, you know, what else do you do? And I tell him, you know, I design clothing and other stuff. And, you know, as same kind of similar thing, like two years, you know, we finally met at a place where, you know, I had time just to focus on that. And, you know, we just hit the ground running and, you know, changed up the logo and, and really got it cracking. Thank you. You know, so... I'm curious because so much of the DK's conversation and so much of uh, the panels that both of us have, have produced, you know, connects to music and the, and the local music scene. What kind of lessons do you guys think can be applied to artists from the work that you guys have, you know, have done as entrepreneurs, as artists yourselves, as business people, you know, kind of what can musicians take from what you guys have learned? I think the biggest thing for me, because like my mom was a, a, a buyer, a merchandiser, and my grandmother had like a bunch of like thrift stores. So I mean, I really, from a young age, learned how, how to package whatever you're doing and, you know, not push it to people, but show it to people in a way where they, they'll be attracted to it. And I think right now, if you look at like how music is, most artists are trying to figure out how to do that, how to put all this stuff in this box and present each item or figure out what items they'll be best at, you know, pushing from the things that they talk about in their music. And I mean, from each one of these, you know, people up here is, is, is what's already happening with music. You know, people are making their own shoes, they're making their own shirts, or having, you know, people design their shirts, you know, like Rhymesayers and, you know, other companies like that that push the music. And I think musicians right now, I mean, like a Kanye West, who's like trying to really study fashion in the sense of being, you know, from the ground floor, how to, you know, feel it from going to Italy and all that kind of stuff, are really trying to figure out how we are consistent in it. Because the one thing I've noticed, you know, from going to the trade shows and all that, forever people are selling clothing. Music is on a decline, but clothing is a steady thing. I mean, even in the mall where Bucky Feet and we are, it's stores are coming and other ideas around music are really just stores. I mean, right now they just had like the Shepherd Fairy exhibit at our, our mall and it was based around the prints, but then also it was a store component and it was like a two floor store for like this music festival. And a lot of the products, you know, weren't necessarily directly related to music, but they made products to go with the music. So speaking of making products to go with the music, and I want to give you guys the opportunity to chime in on that because it seems like you have something to say. But I've noticed uh, people traveling. Um, I met this guy when uh, I think he met us in Berlin. And um, I think he was on maybe Jurassic 5. He had just did something with him in Paris. And uh, he, he, you know, he asked, could he get on the show? And we was like, man, we don't have an opener. I don't have any problem. He said we didn't have to pay him any money. But I saw him travel all through Europe selling merchandise. And so um, it seemed like obviously he invested up front. And he probably made either triple or double selling CDs selling uh, his T-shirts and all the other wares that he has, stickers. 
Uh, I know as far as Threatless and Bucket Feet, do you find out, maybe, I don't know, Bucket Feet may seem like it may be more of a, um, maybe, I don't know, one-off. The people buying bulk, you can explain that to me as well. But people purchasing shirts in bulk in order for them to represent their brand and actually kind of turn that into dollars in order to feed the rest of their career. Do you find that uh, something that goes on pretty often? From people buying in bulk? Absolutely. Um, not from Threadless. Not from no. Threadless, it's the one-off. It's pretty much, you know, like two to three t-shirts, yeah. We don't do a lot of bulk shipments, all like direct-to-consumer type stuff. Um, but I want to touch a little bit on what on he said with the, as far as how the music interacts, because um, music's very important at Threadless. It's the biggest motivator for all of us. It's one of the reasons I love it is, um, it, it's kind of a democratic process where anyone can put on music. And we also have one to two bands a month that come and perform um, at our facility, and we shut everything down at work, and everyone watches a band perform. Everyone should know that at Threadless, like, it's a really, really cool warehouse. There's at least, you know, during the time that I've spent there, which has been a couple of years, there was, like, the back warehouse where all the T-shirts were, like, you know, shipped and everything and, and, and stored. And then there's kind of the front warehouse, which is kind of like this Pee Wee's Playhouse type environment. It's awesome. It seems like that's where a lot of the bands are perform right but have a yeah. half pipe too yeah you know, that's a cool work environment. well the thing like i want to think like but the way i see it is i always kind of looked at it like like running a record label running a business they get all these artists around the world and the thing about us is you're promoting you're putting your design out on threadless and then you have to promote it get your friends to vote on it get your them to spread the word about you which is kind of like being an independent band where you're starting as an artist you're trying to get your friends to listen you're trying to get people to spread the word so with the voting system you had a voting system between what well, was a zero to five or i'd buy it or both you know five and i'd buy it so the best voting you could get was in a five and i'd buy it um so as that added up, uh, what I see is that with artists, like Threadless grew from word of mouth. We did no advertising for like the first seven to eight years of our business. And we grew huge by just word of mouth. And I see that as a brand of a band, you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to, to, to create this word of mouth, get people talking. Don't make people, you don't want people retweeting what you said. You want them tweeting about you and not even following you. You want people talking about you. And that's what you have to. That's what you have to do as far as your fans go. You want your fans to be talking about you for one reason or another. Threadless's brain, like I'm wearing a Threadless T-shirt right now. We did, a, we did a partnership with Nickelodeon, and but there's, it doesn't say Threadless anywhere on here. It has the artist name and stuff on this. But the idea is to get people talking about this shirt, and then find out it's from Threadless, and to get that conversation going. But the, we 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 uh, we live off the strength of our art. We live off the strength of our design. And as a musician. That's what you should be living off of too, the strength of your art. Let your art, let your music talk for itself. And if people aren't talking about it, that's a problem. So make sure people are talking about it and give them a reason to talk about it. Yeah. That's yeah, thanks, Matt. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I'll say two things about both of those questions. Um, number one, uh, we do mass produce. So we, uh, we sell online direct to consumer and we sell to stores. So we sell to, to Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's and, and different big stores. and um, for us, when we do mass produce, the artist gets a cut of everything we do. So they get paid up front and they get paid on every single pair of shoes we sell anywhere in the world. That's if we sell a thousand pairs to a distributor, if we sell one pair to somebody in this audience, they get paid the same for every single pair we sell. And so I guess to your question, we sort of build in that opportunity for our artists um, and, you know, we. You know, we just worked with uh, Lollapalooza, for example, you know, which obviously is about music, um, to create a collaboration shoe where they actually were the artist and, and they got paid back for some of those shoes they made and those shoes were then gifted to artists. So I think that um, the way we've structured it is, is similar to, you know, creating your own line. And so the artist can feel like 
whether that's a musician, whether that's just a, a, you know, a graphic artist, a visual artist, whatever, any type of artist, um, they can feel like they have their own product, uh, has their own name on it, has their own packaging uh, that they create. Um, when it comes to branding, um, to the first question, I think um, people should think about their personal brand the same way that they think about a corporate brand. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with content and storytelling. Um, you were saying a lot of the same thing. Um, I always bring up the examples of Red Bull and GoPro. Um, Red Bull sells an energy drink, GoPro sells cameras, but they're really more content generators than they are anything else. Uh, there's a really great quote from someone really senior at GoPro. They said, we're a content company. We just happen to make cameras. Um, I think that's really powerful when you think about the way the world is going and where brands are going. Um, and, and the example about Kanye West, you know, the same thing. I mean, he's really just trying to create lots of different content in different ways, which strengthens his personal brand, even though some people may know him as a musician, some people may know him as a fashion icon, et cetera, et cetera. It's the fact that there's all this content that he's creating that allows him to tell stories, that allows it to spread, and that allows his brand to get a little bit stronger. I mean, that's definitely the thing to make anything move if you have a great story. Like uh, with my band, like we sat down with like one of the top like PR agents in London. And the first thing he told us is like, if you don't have a compelling story, nobody's gonna care. Doesn't even matter how the music sounds. You have to pull people in where they want to be a part of it, want to feel it. And like um, with Iridium, our whole thing was like pulling in other artists to collaborate with and then other artists to be our artists in the sense of like they're showing what our lifestyle is as well as, you know, if you want to invest in us doing something together, you're welcome to do it. And then something new that just started happening where some artists are like buying our clothing to print like their name on the clothing and then giving it to somebody famous. So it's kind of jokes, like we just were checking out Vine and these guys from here had like given Soldier Boy like a full fit and like our newest pieces. And I mean, they, each thing was like maybe $150. I'm just like, wow, like you could buy 10 of those. That'd be great, you know, keep it going. Is it possible I can uh, pull, the, pull the audience here? And uh, I'd like to know how many of you uh, in the audience are actual musicians or, or um, we have one, two. I would think a lot. the majority. And so, and other individuals here are graphic designers or they're coming out with their own brand? Yes, no? And everybody else is just curious. They came to look at me because I'm handsome. That's supposed to be a joke, y'all. No, you got some nice rights. Yeah, bro. I'm going to have to work Let's on crack that. crack it. <laughs> so, so uh, once again, uh, we're talking about Kanye West. You would kind of think that his brand is pretty strong. Whether, whether you like him or don't like him, his brand is strong. Absolutely. So is there anything detrimental to the brand? Because I know Kanye West kind of ruffled some feathers when he had uh, the Confederate flag. You know, and I don't know what kind of statement was he trying to make. Was he trying to be controversial? Uh, so that kind of comes to, is, is any attention good attention to your brand or is there detriments to your brand? And, and I, don't, I don't think maybe, I don't, for, for you two gents, I'm not sure if that's, uh, I don't, would you even print a pair of shoes that have Confederate flags on it? Yeah, uh, we, we would not. I don't think. Um, I, I don't think any attention is good attention, my personal opinion. Um, but that said, I don't think my personal opinion matters that much. I think it comes down to um, it, it's it, it comes down to who you are and what you're trying to be. 
and everyone's different. Uh, people care about different things. And so it's not a right or wrong. I think it comes down to personal preference. Um, I think that's what's important. I think that's what's important with everything. Um, everyone is different, so you sort of have to go your own way. And with uh, Threadless, everything, we're a crowdsourced company, so the designs are submitted or voted on by the community. So if it's driven, we've definitely printed our share of controversial designs, but that's because our community said they wanted those designs. So um, we try to stay out of the way of that a little bit because, you know, what we have found is things we thought were going to be the, 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 They'd be duds, you know, they weren't going to sell. And our community is telling us, no, we want this. They end up becoming hot sellers and, and big items. Um, so to us, if it's, yeah, if it's, we don't really think about the controversy. Uh, we think more about is it, is it stolen or is it licensed? <laughs> we don't want that cease and desist. Which is critical. Although one year for uh, May, the, May the 4th, we released a bunch of Star Wars designs in small quantities knowing we were going to get that cease and desist. But uh, we did it anyways, just, to, just for fun. Uh, and we did. Um, but uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, as um, one thing about Threadless, like one of our most biggest designers, biggest designs and uh, artists of last year spent six years on Threadless submitting designs. You know, they started off submitting designs that got no attention, no one cared about it. Um, and then, you know, they started getting feedback from the community, getting feedback what they need to do. Six years of submitting designs with never having one printed. And suddenly they get printed after that six year and become like, they can't stop getting printed. Everyone loves their designs. Everyone, um, and then they're getting deals with like Nike and suddenly other companies come around all based around on this. So that's the other thing is coming to things like this, like learning from other people who have been there, getting the feedback. You need to listen and grow and evolve and do your own thing, but learn from people who are doing it and never give up, be persistent. If you're willing to give up, you shouldn't be doing it anyway. So be passionate about it, be persistent, never give up. I think I went way off track, but... <laughs> no, it was awesome, though. It was, it was critical information. Uh, well, I mean, with controversy, if your brand is about controversy, I think that's all good and well, but if your brand is based in something else, I mean, for us, our thing is all think everything through as if it was science, which most things are. Well, actually, everything's science. But that's our focus is science. I mean, there's really nothing, I guess, really too controversial there. You know, I mean, it's... We don't really do too many graphic things. It's more the cut of things. It's more what we're on. But in the name of fashion, sometimes I feel some of our things are controversial in the sense of like we use lace for men's garments and, you know, the extended T-shirt. Some people might say a dress, a skirt, that kind of thing. But for us, we really aren't focused on that. We're just more focused on the silhouette and the art of it. I mean, that's the main reason I really joined Iridium because it was as big as my imagination can go is how far, you know, everyone is willing to go. There's not a few places, you know, that allow you to just be as creative as you can be. Because at most of the other companies I worked for, it was always like a ceiling of, that's cool, but we, we just want to keep it safe, you know? It's got a mix of dumb and smart controversy, you know, like, you got you won't be relevant to like things happening. You won't be able to react to, to things happening. Like when we had the, like the TSA thing, when we were doing the full body scanners, you had a design that came out, showed, the Statue of Liberty with the, her undergarments being shown through the scanner that came out. And it was really popular because of what was happening in the time. But that was kind of a smart, not really offensive, controversial thing to do. But then compare that to like Ninja Turtles movie releasing a, a poster of them jumping out of a blowing up building that's releasing a 9-11. That's bad controversy to have. It's just not smart. So it's a matter of being smart and being done with your controversy. You can use it 
especially if you have a community telling you this is, you know, this is something you stand behind rather than just being trying to be instead of just trying to get shock value. Shock value, absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about the role of community because that's something that I think has been touched on throughout all the discussion, but I don't know that we've really like focused on it. We've, we've talked about storytelling, which I think is absolutely like a crucial element of any kind of artistic endeavor is like, I forget who exactly said it was, you know, like if there's not a good story, no one cares. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You know, you could come out today as like Led Zeppelin. If there wasn't a compelling story, nobody would probably care. So talk about community and how connecting with the community you know, as artists, as entrepreneurs, as business people, you know, how does that work and why is that important? You know, and I know Threadless is obviously kind of a really easy example of that. I think like with um, anything you're doing, like you have to create your own scene. And I mean, for me, from an early age, I was always about creating this world around me and connecting with these people I felt were into what I'm into and, you know, building on what they were into as well. And I mean, for us right now, that's the thing that's making it work that we're building this network of people that own galleries that, you know, have their own brands or have their own music and, you know, just building it up. So like, for instance, a small side of that is every weekend we have different genre of DJs in the store. So everything from soul music to house music to bopping to jazz to people actually playing live, uh, making live beats on the set. And each one of those people are bringing new people that have nothing to do with us you know, that come and, you know, enjoy the clothing or, you know, see something else in it where they're like, man, that's really cool. I want to be a part of that. So right now we've really noticed like a ridiculous amount of people just asking, how can I help? And for me to see, you know, a clothing store in that way, I've never seen that. I know that what music people say, how can I help you? Can I pass out some flyers? Can I, you know, tell someone else? Or can I buy some tickets to your show? But we're really seeing with, with that thing of, you know, people wanting to be a part of it. And I think that's definitely what both of these guys have as well, is just people that want to be a part. Because when I first got into, like, um, seriously designing T-shirts of, you know, approaching companies and that kind of thing, I saw Threatless and I was like, man, I got to give people to vote? I was like, man, like, you know, that means you got to have a following, you know, to make it happen. In the sense of the guy you were just talking about, that, that he went to school through you guys, basically. Like, he learned how to design better. Yeah. You got to be able to take criticism. You know, it's like, be a critique. Even if you go to art school together, one thing is most important is that roundtable discussion and be able to take your critique. Um, I mean, the one thing, like, you know, there's a lot of crowdsourced companies today and have tried to come up, but the thing is building a community is hard. And so crowdsourcing fails for a lot of people because you have to get to that point where you build a community. And the only way to do that is be genuine about what you're doing. We, we build a community out of a love of art and design and, and help, we helped grow that community out of it. It wasn't to like sell a Jeep, you know, or like, hey, let's just put this design on something. It was, it was a little different. It was actually a genuine story of how much we love design, how much we loved it. It was actually a hobby. Our, the guy who created Threadless, it was his hobby on the side for fun. It became a huge business. It wasn't something he did just to start a business. And so I think people can smell that out. You, you need to be very genuine with your community. You need to have real conversations with your, with your fans, your followers, uh, on social, on, you know, from your customer service aspect, from everything. You need to be genuine and have discussions. Our customer service is on Twitter. We have real conversations with real people. And you build this kind of love for your brand. And, uh, and you do that from the employee to the customer, everything. Like anyone from our warehouse to our CEO are very involved on the blogs, on the community aspects, socially, and we encourage that. We want you to care about the product. We want you to be, to know who these designers are. And like one of the biggest things uh, show the power of our community recently, we had a designer who had been a designer for a long time, 
get diagnosed, diagnosed with a MS, and um, he, he's, he may not be able to draw again. He's a very successful artist, and our whole artist community came together and started, we put out a bunch of designs, and we promoted them, and all, all the proceeds are all going to help his uh, medical. He has no insurance or anything, so our community actually put this together and asked us to do it, and we went ahead and did it. So to us, our community and our following is the company. It's not us. We're, we're, doing, we're giving our base what they want, and we need to be able to do and evolve with what they want us to do. And that's like, you know, partnerships, anything we do with companies is giving the artists in our community more opportunities to get out there and build themselves as, as a brand. I'll just add a quick thing to that. I think uh, whether people <clears throat> whether people admit it or not, everyone wants to feel like they're part of something or connected to something. Um, I think that's just in human nature. And our, our company uh, was, really, was really sort of inspired by travel. It wasn't necessarily... Um, like Threadless, although Threadless has been a big inspiration for our own business, it wasn't necessarily inspired by artists or art. It was inspired by travel. It was inspired by connecting people and the idea that if we all were able to meet each other in person, uh, we'd all probably be a lot happier and get along a lot better. Um, what we found, though, was that art and artists um, is, is more of a universal language, the same way that sports is, the same way that music is. It's one of those things that don't have to be from the same place, don't have to speak the same language, but you can understand it. You can look at something on the wall and decide if you like it or you don't. And most people probably can't explain why they do or they don't. They just do or they don't. It's one of those sort of universal truths. And so for us, art was a way to bring people together and in effect um, create what we thought could be a powerful community that you know um, could help us sort of spread that mission. Thank you very much, my man. Uh, so at this point in time, we're going to take a, a small break. And uh, this break is really for you guys. We put you guys in the room together to network. This is, this is uh, also a networking event. And we will have uh, these gentlemen here afterwards as well, after our Q&A session. But um, we do want you to get out and uh, kind of meet each other. And, and maybe you can start building your own brand and your own community right here in this building. So um, we're going to play a little bit, little bit of music. Please refresh your drinks. Uh, if you do have uh, a meter to pay, like myself, Go ahead and take care of that so you don't get a ticket. And uh, we'll come back here in about 10 to 15 minutes. Healthy applause. Healthy applause for our panelists. Thank you. So are we opening it up to questions? Or are we? Yeah, I think, I think uh, it seems like um, this, we have a pretty curious audience. And um, if uh, we do have any questions, I will gladly give up my microphone. So we can ask uh, some of our panelists some questions here. Okay, the question is, uh, she would like to know, is there a special process on how to develop your story? I know sometimes there's a natural story at hand. Uh, sometimes people are natural storytellers and they're able to kind of enhance that. Is there a certain thing, you know, you guys are talking about developing your stories where there's a particular process on, on coming about that revision or whatever that may consist of? Well, um, I, I would say the way I used to approach the same thing with like my students when I used to teach, I would always have them the first day of class, like do a bullet point of their life and like a resume. Just because oftentimes you don't realize you did these amazing things that other people would be like, oh, wow, that happened, you know? And, you know, really focus in on knocking out that whole page like you're going for a job interview and related to, you know, what you're doing. 
personally to us, we let our community pretty much tell the story. So they, they develop the stories for us. But I always think it's better to always be talking about someone else and not yourself. So always try to, you know, be giving, be giving not, not trying to get attention to yourself as much as giving attention to other people who can help spread the word about you. I would say the most important thing is being authentic. Um, everyone's different. Everyone has something different to share. So be authentic. Uh, it's cliche, but it's true. Um, if you try to be everything to everyone, uh, you're sort of going to get lost. So be authentic. And then in terms of storytelling, um, practice really does make perfect. Um, say it over and over and over again, and you'll get a much better cadence on how you want to tell it, what people react to, what people like, what people don't. Everything isn't necessary in a story. It also depends on who your audience is. So cater that story, although the message should always be authentic and the end result should be the same, but cater your story to your, to your audience. Hi, I'm Bonnie Watts, and I'm originally from Chicago. Went to New Mexico to try and make my name. I made it here, but now I'm back in Chicago, and I'm having a hard time trying to bake, break into the jazz scene, and I was wondering, how would you do it? Can I, can I say some, something real quick about, about what, what you just, the question you just asked right now? And it, it may have something to do with merchandising and branding to a degree, but networking, networking, networking. A lot of these people, the way I've met a lot of these individuals just by being on the scene and then inserting myself into the scene and saying that, hey, I have a voice. So sometimes you just see people and you say, oh, well, you know, I sing or I play too. And uh, I've met a bunch of jazz musicians that, I had a jazz musician hook me up with VIP past the pitchfork last week. And you know, he plays guitar. And you would think that by other, a lot of other individuals that I know, that would have been a situation, but it's networking and being on the scene and letting them see you. And sometimes they don't even have to hear you, they don't even have to know what you do. But when you do see them, maybe at Jules or washing your car, then that's the entry, that in, the entryway for, for you to talk. And, and then obviously you have to have maybe a little bit to, to show them at that point in time. And maybe you guys can elaborate on that. Yeah, I, I wish I had uh, something different to say, but I would say the single biggest driver of opportunities of anything we've ever done is networking, is just connecting with as many people as we can until we find the person that can help us or the person that can give us advice to figure out what we need to do. More than money, uh, more than you know, retail relationships, more than um, education, quite frankly, more than anything, it's... Uh, it's been networking for us to be able to sort of differentiate ourselves amongst a sea of people that might be doing similar things. Yeah, I mean, same thing. I mean, just networking and being persistent. Just stick with it. Just keep going. Um, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, again, networking, of course. <laughs> but uh, I would say the thing I always do when I'm in a scene where I, I don't know the people is find out who are the people that dictate the culture, who are the people that dictate taste. <laughs> that is big. And try to see if you gel with them. You might not gel with them at all, but figure that out. And then from there, figure, you know, your next move. Yeah, I would add, I mean, everything they, everything everyone has said is totally right on. Um, for us, for Dynasty Podcast, you know, we do a lot of collaboration with different offices, different partners. You know, we're working here with D-Case, uh, the Chicago event office, and we're working with Chop Shop. And the, the way that we've been able, because we're literally a small two-person company, it's myself and my producer, Layla, up there. You know, we don't have, like, a lot of backing. We don't have, like, a team of interns. It's just this two-man thing. And 
the way that we're able to open a lot of doors for ourselves is like we'll pitch people on ideas, make it really succinct. But the thing that I think moves it forward is we tell people like, hey, let us do this thing that's going to help you this way or let us do this for you or let us do this with you. We're going to take care of everything. We'll bring our own mics. We'll bring our own recording equipment. Like, we'll make it easy. You barely have to do anything. And when you start telling people, like, hey, let us do something with you, we'll make it as easy as possible and we'll do as much of it as possible versus, like, when people say, like, hey, what can you do for me? Like, no one responds to that. But when you say, like, hey, let me do something and make it as easy as possible for you, people start, like, that's when doors start opening because everyone wants everything to be easier for themselves. Yeah. yeah, I see that all the time, like promoting people at work. I mean, it's you could be the most talented person in that area, but if you're the person who's not working as hard and putting yourself out there and being the one who's willing to help, uh, the skill and, again, like you can be the most talented person in the world, but if you're not willing to be the nice person and actually do the work and uh, put yourself out there, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Hi. You guys uh, have all said some pretty awesome uh, things about success and all that. But my question actually is more so related to mistakes and like things that like you've done wrong, perhaps, or like things that like you know if you would have had not done that would have saved you time this way or like you know because like you know people make mistakes and I'm, I'm always curious because you don't really know you make a mistake till after you make it. You know what I mean? And what's your name? My name is Wesley. Uh, we, we've made <laughs> we've made a million mistakes, uh, but I'll give you a, a real life example because it's too easy to just say that. So when we were first starting out, we knew nothing about shoes, knew nothing about fashion. You could argue, looking at me, I still know nothing about fashion. Um, knew nothing about retail, knew nothing about e-commerce. We just had an idea, and we're willing to work really hard to make something happen. And I think we got, with a lot of hard work and some luck, I think we were able to make something happen. But early on, um, we had to order shoes. So finally found a factory, figured out how to make shoes, and we had to place our order. And so, you know, you have size runs with shoes, right? So, you know, men's call it, you go from 8 to 13, sort of standard size run. You can go above that, below that. Met a gentleman earlier that wears a size 15 or 16, so unfortunately can't be a customer. And for women's the same thing, right? You might go from five to 10 or whatever, which covers most people. And we said, okay, how many, how many shoes can we afford? And we came up with a number. And how many styles do we wanna make? Came up with the number. And we said, okay, we have 12 sizes to make these shoes for. We made the exact same number of shoes for every size, uh, which, you know, we thought, all right, it's not that many shoes, a few thousand pairs of shoes. Tons of people in the United States, let alone there's even more people in the world. What difference does it make? They're all going to sell. Uh, literally the dumbest thing you can do um, when it comes to making shoes because people buy shoes in, in a bell curve. There's lots of like 9, 10s, and 11s for guys. There's lots of 7, 8s, 9s, and 10s for women. And you're supposed to order way more of certain sizes than other sizes and less at the extremes. So we were left with a lot of fives for women. A lot of uh, 13s for men, um, but we learned from it. We never did it again. Uh, we did make the mistake again, sort of, uh, where we didn't order in as much of a bell curve as we should have. Um, but I think if you don't go through those things, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't force you to improve very, very quickly. So um, luckily, that was really, really early on, and I think we've gotten a little smarter. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of mistakes. Uh, I mean, a lot of our mistakes were from ignorance. We didn't realize they were going to be mistakes. But mistakes are good. Usually you make a mistake, and then you learn how to improve from those mistakes. Um, always wear protection. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, the biggest thing I think we had uh, the biggest learning curve is starting early, early on in the early 2000s when um, international shipping wasn't. Like, most companies in the United States weren't shipping internationally. We didn't know that. We didn't know it was supposed to be hard to ship internationally. So if someone wanted our product, we started shipping to them. Well, we didn't know we were doing it wrong at first. We didn't know about all the paperwork and stuff you were supposed to be doing along with it. So we'd have like 100 shipments going to Canada that just got stuck in customs. So, uh, and they threatened to like not allow us into Canada at all anymore as a company, which is suck. They were like our second biggest country to ship to. Um, the point was we didn't know anything about it. Uh, we had a whole operation of people who were ignorant about how to ship to internationally, or even how to warehouse anything. Um, but you learn from those mistakes, and now 60% of our business is international. So we learned from that mistake and, uh, and, and capitalized off of it and learned how to do it right. So I would say don't avoid making mistakes, just learn from them. Well, fashion-wise, definitely both of those mistakes made both of those. But uh, I'll give you one as a musician. It was like my first big tour. It was uh, 51 cities in 54 days. And I was like, ah, I made it. You know, I told my mom, I'm like, I get to do this. It's gonna be amazing. I'll see you in 54 days. And um, we had got done with like the Midwest portion of the tour, you know, 10, 10 day, dates in it. And our next show was supposed to be in BC, Canada. So that's like on top of like Washington, Spokane actually, right up there. So that's like basically it was a 24 hour drive just to make it to jump on stage, no sound check, anything. And you know, us excited to do it. Yeah, yeah, well, we can make it, there's no problem. So like, uh, I mean, we got pulled over like three times. Every time, you know, I read the thing, hey, you know, we're, we have this show, we're on this tour. You know, we're just trying to make it. And uh, every time the cops were cool, let us go. But we got all the way to Canada, to the border, BC. So we did it, 23 hours, it was amazing. We're like, we still can make it. And um, as soon as we pull into like the place where you do the customs declaration and all that, they're like, what are you here for? We're like, ah, oh, man, we're here to play a show. Man, we about to rap, you know what I'm saying? We got CDs. And they're like, yo, do you have like an artist, you know, voucher pass and all that? And we're like, why? <laughs> like, if you come into Canada, you have to have some, a visa saying, you know, what you're here for when you're leaving. So they turn the car around. And as soon as we drive to the US part, they strip search the whole car. Cause it's like four guys in there. We got stuff everywhere, smelling of whatever. But so it was just like, ah man, like what are we gonna do? So basically we missed a week of the tour and we're in Spokane, Washington. And my DJ, this guy, DJ Intel, he, he had the wise decision of like, man, we should hit up couchsurfing.com. I'm like, dude, I'm not couch surfing. But he wound up finding like, uh, a group of guys that owned a house called the Nug Hub. And these group of guys, I couldn't believe it. Like they're at a Christian college, you know, they took us in, they're like, you guys can stay as long as you want. And what wound up happening, they set us up with two shows, one at the college, and they threw a prom at someone's house. And I mean, we made maybe 500 bucks in that week on a tour we were just opening, making nothing. So I mean, you make it, you, you gotta make it happen. No matter what happens, you gotta make it happen. And to add on to that, too, is that <clears throat> I'm sure maybe if, if the, the gents at, and, and the ladies at Bucket Feet probably had done a little research, they probably would have known. Same thing for Threadless, 
you know, probably would have known that, man, you can't do this. And, and same thing for Pugs. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can kind of try to figure out, you know, make new mistakes. But if people that, you know, you're emulating or you're following in their footsteps, you know, figure out, you know, as much as you can about touring. What is it going to take for you to go to Canada? What is it going to take for you to, to put in an order for? Because these guys have done it before. So now you heard it, you won't make that mistake. You may make a new mistake. But mistakes and revisions is always awesome. Um, yeah, my name is John. I'm the author. I'm a hip-hop artist. I'm also a videographer, a photographer. I got my own in-house studio. Um, I basically, uh, you know, do all my stuff by myself, you know, with the help of a couple friends and stuff like that. But um, my question to you all is about networking. I know you was just telling the young lady, network, network, network. Now, one of the biggest issues that I have is how exactly do you network? Because for me, you know, coming out to events like this, um, I don't know about y'all, but it's really, really awkward, right? right? Like you like, you know, walk with the people you don't know and you're just like, yeah, so what you do? You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, you all obviously being successful, um, obviously must have been successful at networking. So like, how do you all do it? Do you just walk up to somebody like, yo, what up? Or do you all just like, you know, how do you all play the scene when you're in events like this? I mean, for me, with networking, it just depends on the situation, you know, and also if I'm here by myself or I'm here with a group of people, you know. So I just usually just try to fill people over, you know. If they seem easygoing, approach them easily. If it seems more serious, introduce them more in a business manner. But the biggest part of networking isn't really the introduction. It's following through on whatever you said you could do. That's the one. Because, I mean, for me, that's the part that always kills me in the sense of a networking event is you make all these interesting people and people say they could do this or, you know, they want to get up or we should talk later. And then the actual action never happens. So to a point, it's like we both wasted each other's time when we could have made something great possible. This could have been the moment. Yeah, really quick, I'm just going to say, like, I go to a lot of events, like conferences and festivals and, and just all sorts, you know, things that we do like this and... There's a lot of networking involved and, you know, part of it is like you can always come prepared. Like you can read the list of like, oh, who are going to be the panelists? And then maybe you like do some research on like, oh, okay, Lance has worked with Threadless for like 10 years and he's done this and Threadless does this. And then when you approach him, you're like, hey, man, I really like Threadless. I think it's really interesting that you guys, you know, crowdsource all your ideas or something. You come to him with something that's like, I clearly know who you are and I've done my research. Um, and the other thing is, like, yeah, just the follow-through is so, so important. But networking, I mean, it's really hard sometimes to just, like, walk up to people. Like, I get that, you know, just finding a way to connect to people. But it's so important to do that and the follow-up. And the more places you go, like, the more events you go to, the more you're going to start seeing the same people and they're going to start seeing you. And it really does become easier. And I think that with, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things and all all of us have, you know, it's easier than ever to find like, oh man, like there's an event with like DK's happening tonight at Chop Shop or like, hey, like there's some kind of like fake shore drive after party for this thing or there's something happening at Lacuna Lofts. Like you can find out about these things now pretty easily. And once you find out about one, it becomes easier to start seeing like, oh, this person's also doing this. And then you kind of fall down a rabbit hole. So just like do your research and you'll start seeing the same people. You'll start seeing who's kind of putting events together. And then you start being able to figure out, like, okay, this person's clearly, like, doing this kind of cool stuff. You know, you can start to piece it together from there. You got to be able to face your fears, too. I mean, 
I actually have severe stage fright. I don't like getting in front of people. I was in a band for years too, and I was a singer for bands. That, but back when I had stage fright, I got severely crazy when I had to had to do that stuff in front of you guys. It, it's hard for me to do that. So you gotta be able to face your fears. I got I'm afraid of heights, but I climbed a mountain a couple of years ago. I, I feel like you have to like face your fears and conquer them. So I know if you're you're shy and feel, I mean you came here, so you obviously. Uh, we're able to do that, so that's awesome. But don't be afraid to introduce yourself and, and, and say what you're working on and, and see if there's a connection that can be made. Um, Internet's made that much easier to network. I was always a big online networker from a very early age because it was easier to not have to actually directly be with people. So, I mean, I don't know how many deals I've launched just by introducing myself to someone on Facebook, like sending a message to someone on Facebook, and I've you know, it's, it's easier for me because I can be like, hey, I'm from Threadless. <laughs> you know, it's a little easier than just like being somebody off the street, like doing it. But don't be, don't be shy. I mean, because what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? Someone's going to say no or brush you off. Big deal. You know, that's, it's like the whole, the whole home run metaphor with Babe Ruth. They like had the most home runs. That's why the most strikeouts. So the bottom line is keep swinging. Yeah, same as Jordan. Yeah, exactly. I think every one of us has been blown off or brushed off by people, right? Like, it, it will happen, and it'll continue to happen forever. It's, you just keep going with it. Well, he needs that one opportunity, though, that one opportunity that can change the rest of your life. Never give up. The only thing I'd add is uh, what's good for me, because I don't like going up to people I don't know, and uh, if I can network, I think anyone can. Um, for me, it's just starting with people you know. So for me, it's really, who do I know? Who am I comfortable with? Starting with them start conversation with them, see who they know, and go from there. And if you get that warm introduction, I think it makes it a lot easier. So most of my networking has been um, through people I know who've introduced me to people they know, and I take it from there. And I think what was said earlier, um, you know, doing your research and following through at that point, once you have that in, is critical because you may only get one, one opportunity. It's really when it's stressed, like, Go to a lot of events, really. Like I know we said that, but go to a lot of events because the more events you go to, the more people see you, and that already like adds some credibility to you. Well, I like to say I disagree because you're an amazing networker. You backpack all over the world, meeting people, talking about your shoes. So I'm gonna have to go against that. Um, my name is Aaron, and the question that I have for you all is: Should musicians? give their music away for free and focus on branding their merchandise, especially in this climate of music sales? Uh, well, I guess I'll go there. Uh, to me, I think it depends on what your audience is. Are you dealing with people that buy CDs? In my mind, I feel everybody buys CDs. You come to my show, I'm selling everything. I have Iridium, got my CDs. If my son makes something, it's going to be on that table. Because I feel people want to still buy things, but it's the way you, uh, I guess, show them, present it. You know, I usually have a tablecloth that looks crazy, and, you know, I have all my stuff set up to go with the experience of I'm performing, you can take some of me home. How you take me home is your choice. Vinyl, CD, MP3, T-shirt, hat. I mean, that's just always been part of my thing. But, I mean, I think right now artists have a fear of nobody buying something. And that's why they don't push anything because it's easy just to say, here's my stuff online, you could download it. And even with saying you're downloading something, like you need to have a PR company going heavy for you for this free download or for this buy an MP3. I mean, look at iTunes. It's so much music to choose from. What pulls it apart? What makes it different? 
Yeah, I mean, it's still a line from Martin Atkins, free is the new black. Um, I think the, the, the thing is, it is depending on who you are and what you want to do as, as an artist, but to me it's like, if they're going to get it for free either way. And the, the biggest problem is if they're not. If they don't want your product even for free, if they're not stealing it or if they're not doing it, then you've got a bigger problem in the first place, so no one wants your stuff. Um, it's like the guys from um, uh, Game of Thrones. It's the most downloaded, pirated um, DVD or episode, but it's also the highest selling one. And like they said, hey, it's not hurting our sales any. So what people are usually getting is a taste of what you got. And if they like it enough, they're going to pay for it. They're going to come, well, more importantly, they're going to come see your show. They're going to buy your merch. They're going to buy the, put the money into the thing that actually is going to make you money rather than, you know, you're using your, you're using, it's, it's going back to the olden days where your music is pure promotion to an extent, you know. But again, it's up to the visual artist. It, it works differently. But I think when you're just starting to build yourself as an artist, you're going to have to suck it up and give it away free, spend some money on it, and, uh, and get the product out there. I would say throw it on YouTube and SoundCloud because, like, I, I have worked in music specifically for, like, 16 years. I don't download anything anymore. I just don't. Because, like, it's, this is going to sound silly. It's like, then I have to download it. I have to open it. I have to import it into iTunes. That takes 12 seconds. But to me, in my mind, I'm like, oh, who has the time? Throw it on YouTube. Throw it on YouTube and SoundCloud. People will stream it. Because no one even downloads anything anymore. I don't buy CDs if, like... An artist that I really like, Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins, last couple of years, have been releasing this gorgeous, like, super elaborate reissue set. They're like $100, $150 a pop. They're like seven or eight CDs each time. I buy those because I love the Smashing Pumpkins. 99% of other artists, I love their music, but I'm not going to purchase their music, but I will listen to it on SoundCloud or YouTube, and then I'll go to their show and I'll buy a poster or I'll buy a T-shirt. Make cool merch. To me, like, stop charging for your music because you're not going to make any money on that. Just throw it on YouTube and make it easy and have it be on Tumblr and promote yourself on Instagram. And then, like, put your money into cool T-shirts or posters or, like, fingerless gloves or, like, beanies or something cool. And people will buy that because they can't download a beanie yet. They can't download a T-shirt yet. People like exclusivity, too. So make different packages and stuff like that that add a little bit to it. I mean, uh, I remember, I was thinking Martin was telling a story about the, uh, the people who down in South by Southwest, they were making an album, and they had, their album was in a brown paper bag with a bunch of words written all over it, but they were doing, they had a typewriter in their van, they were just typing these random things all over this bag at times, so each one they gave was unique, and so I would buy that just for the uniqueness of it, I would pay for it, and so I guess just, again, standing out, making something unique that people want to pay for, other than that, yeah, I mean, I pretty much just scream everything now, too, I have my... Uh, Spotify. I pay for a monthly Spotify account. That's pretty much what I spend on, unless I go to a show. I'll pretty much buy an album and, uh, and merch at a show, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Jaime just, just, just a little bit because um, sometimes, you know, selling something is, uh, if they don't really know you, if they're just testing your music out, they're not going to really probably make that purchase. But for email address, you know, as you grow and as you get better, you know, maybe two, three albums later, you can now sell them something. You can say, hey, I'm performing here. Um, with Bandcamp, they have analytics. They're letting you know where your fan base is. Letting you know your fan base is in Delaware. Your fan base is in France. Your fan base is right here in Chicago. How many people, you know, uh, how many times they've downloaded your stuff? MailChimp. MailChimp is awesome. Up until like 2,000 emails, I think, are free. Uh, email addresses, rather. And um, you could tell how many people opened up your email, how many times they clicked through your email. You know, so that networking, you're taking that card, you're taking it home. And sometimes I don't call people in the car, but I enter them into my MailChimp and say, okay, this person works for such and such. They work with, with such and such. 
and our interim, and I make sure I try to add as much information as I can. But that email, following back up with them, is invaluable. And if they download your stuff and they're willing to enter their email address, like in Bandcamp, um, that means they want to be contacted. So that's actually worth more than the dollar or the five bucks that you will probably get because, oh, well, let me let you know I'm now doing a tour. I got six dates in Europe. Oh, well, now all the people in France and all the people in Russia that wanted to see you can know that you're there, and they will buy that $30, $40 vinyl, or they will buy that $30, $40 Euro T-shirt, you know, whatever that situation may be, because they're so geeked to see you, and they're a fan of yours. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, also, I'm a huge fan of, of, of like, um, crowdfunding for albums and stuff like that, because I always like feeling like my money isn't just going to buy the album, but helping the album get made. So I know there's a debate over people who like that and don't like it, but I'm actually a huge fan of it. I'll, I'll throw money at a band who's like trying to make an album because I feel like I'm supportive of the arts and, and stuff like that. But I mean, things like Kickstarter have such a huge community built into it as well. It's not just like you're helping get your album funded. You're, you're getting good marketing off that as well. So usually the, the money and the rewards you get from that, it's, it, it pays itself off in pure marketing exposure for your band from the get-go anyway. Yeah, one artist actually with that, he did it where you could actually, he'll come to you, wherever you are in the world, fly out, record a song with you in the room, you get input on the record. I don't know if I really want to do that, but, you know, so somebody might say kittens, and I was like, I don't want to rap about kittens, bro. That's not happening. I saw a really great, um, a, a really great crowdfunding kind of incentive the other day. Rob Zombie, you know, from White Zombie, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob Zombie, is crowdfunding his new movie, and he's also a musician. He, he does films and movies. So he didn't do it through Kickstarter. It was through, like, a different site. But one of the incentives was, like, it was $1,000, and there were, like, maybe 10, um, you know, bundles of this available, where for $1,000, you get to go to every Rob Zombie show you can for the rest of your life. I was like, dude, if you're, like, a Rob Zombie fan, that's a great deal. I wouldn't buy that that's for Rob awesome, Zombie. Though. But, like, there are definitely artists where, like, if Kanye West was like, yo, $1,000, you can go to my shows for life, I'd be like, yeah, like, <laughs> I'd, like, cut my hand getting my credit card out, you know? Like, so, so create cool incentives that people will get excited about. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of those things is because it takes away that middleman, that label saying no. You don't have someone telling you no anymore or, or saying, oh, you're going to be taking money out of our pocket. No, it's all about you and actually having a connection to your audience and having a connection to your brand. So, and people want that connection, so they'll actually throw, they'll throw, you know, they'll put money more than they would normally pay, probably, to just have that connection with you as an artist. So, you all are, let's say it takes a thousand hours to become a master. Ten thousand. Go for that thousand. Anyway. <laughs> Shortcuts. Anyway, all the same, you all are great at different things. It's not just, you know, design or t-shirts or music and design. Like, there's a lot of different things that you do or could do or that you're good at. When it comes to your brand, for those artists that are uh, into different things or really great at different things simultaneously, maybe they are a, a great designer but then also a musician, um, could you share a bit of how they could possibly preserve or strengthen their brand with multiple things simultaneously without getting lost in the mix? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And what's your name? Janice. I'll start. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this, and there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to um, a company and, and our brand. Um, I think focus is key. Doing a few things really, really well versus a bunch of things average 
uh, takes you a lot farther. And by doing a few things well, it then gives you an opportunity to do more down the road once you've sort of mastered those things. You know, I, I didn't even say this. Our, our COO made this comment once. In a, in a, we had a team meeting, and everyone was talking about all the things they were working on. And he, uh, he said the comment, if you have more than three priorities, you have no priorities, uh, which I thought was really, really great. And it really helped us think about how do we focus on the most important things that are driving what we want to accomplish forward and ignore those things that are sort of just in the periphery. Um, so now in meetings, we literally, in team meetings, when we talk about what we're working on, people are not allowed to say more than three things. They can have one pet project, but they shouldn't ever be working on three things. Um, and of course, you're working on different things, and maybe there's different parts to different things. What that allows you to do and what that allows our, our team to do is do those things really, really well. And, and you know, just to tie it all together, you've probably all heard of you know, the 80-20 rule. Um, you know, 20% of, you know, you should... The things that you focus on, um, the 20% of things you focus on drives 80% of, of your business or your brand or whatever else. So we really take that to heart. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, could you please once again give your names and how people can contact you, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, website, whatever you like, information you'd like to give. Okay. So uh, you can find me anywhere, Pugs, P-U-G-S-A-T-O-M-Z, Pugs with an S. And I'm on any social network or just go PugsAdams.com. And then, of course, IridiumClothingCo.com. Check out all of our clothing. And, yeah, pretty much just Google it. Pugs Adams. Pugs. Yeah, you can find me at uh, Lance at Threadless.com or Lance at RKBrewery.com. Um, I'm We Are Careful on most social networks, Twitter or Instagram, just We Are Careful. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Raja, R-A-A-J-A at bucketfeet.com and we're bucketfeet and twitter instagram facebook website uh and i'm raja namani n-e-m-a-n-i so my name um on all social media um that's it thank you very much and once again it's a Jaime from dynasty podcast you can see i wasn't cool enough to get one of these big you know uh joints right here but uh maybe next time next panel event obviously you can find uh everything on uh dk's what's the what's the website for dk's dk's dot cityofchicago.org backslash DK so you can find out more uh, information about these type of events. Um, Chicago Artists Resource, artists, plural, resource.org. Once again, dynastypodcast.com. Yeah, dynastypodcast.com and just at dynastypodcast, so that with an at in front of it. And uh, before we forget, I want to thank, you know, everybody on the panel and obviously DK's First Ward and Chop Shop for having us here. Uh, my producer, Layla Royale, who produces all of our live content. And the sound thank guy, you. Stephen, for making yeah. us sound good. I sound real cool in the microphone. Thank, thank you, everyone here. And thank you, everyone, for coming out, most of all. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks oh, for coming out. Real quick, you can find me. I'm pretty cool, too. I'm pretty cool to follow. <laughs> I'm kind of a comedian. No, I'm not. Uh, uh, Perpetual Rebel, everything Perpetual Rebel, perpetualrebel.com. Uh, my name is Jahari Palacio. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, if you have any other questions, I'm sure these fine gentlemen, anybody would be willing to answer and follow up with you uh, because that's what we're here for. Thank you. Please come again. Thanks. This has been the Dynasty Podcast Panelcast Series. You can find more live podcasts and panels at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black. Dynasty Descend.